Well, thanks for making my family and I welcome. It's great to come through. I feel like I've done church twice, which is no bad thing. We started the service off uh, through in Edinburgh, and then around about the time that the youngsters head out of our church, they do Sunday Club and Crest there, around about the time they headed out, uh, we hightailed it in the car through here. We've been made to feel really welcome, uh, and so I want to say thanks for that. Uh, thanks too for folks uh, engaging with a question that was put out to you about what or who you put trust in. Uh, I would guess that a lot of the time we put trust in people or different things and, and maybe don't actually put much thought to it. Actually, you're quite resolute. You're, you've got a sense of trust and so you just get on with it. But it was really interesting hearing when actually you take some time to think about it, what different people were coming up with and saying. We're going to think about our trust uh, and in a moment we're going to pray uh, and then look at God's Word. But let's just think about that a little bit more, about the things that we put trust in but also why. So, for example, I don't know who the civil engineering enthusiast was over here, but as it happens, here's a slide I prepared earlier, a picture of a crane. I give you an insight into uh, the sort of things that go on in my mind. But uh, in a crane, uh, at some point somewhere, if I'm, if I'm not an engineer, by the way, so if I'm way off piste with this, do correct me. But at some point, it will say on it, safe working load. And so if it's a big crane like the one that's pictured, then the safe working load, someone will have crunched the sums and figured it out and, and realized, well, it can probably lift about this much. And, and they'll, they'll say, well, you can confidently lift that. For example, with smaller stuff as well, a friend who's an engineer told me that, you know, these lift trucks that you get for lifting up pallets, he told me, and I hope I'm quoting him right, that it's got a safe working load. And the way in which they figure that out is that they lift stuff until it breaks and they go, well, that's not safe. And so they cut that weight in half and they say, you can probably be confident with that weight. So they've taken it to the absolute limit and then said, well, here, here's something that you can put trust in. And so if ever you're lifting a pallet, I don't know if that's something you do, you can be confident. But what about other things, everyday life things? Maybe you've got a watch and it'll say on it that you can take it in water up to 50 meters. Maybe you splash out a little bit more and you, you've got a watch that goes to 100 meters. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in Argos trying to decide between the one that goes to 50 meters or 100 meters, think, what shall I go for? Well, I've never taken a watch up to 50 meters below water, but it's good to know that someone has and that they're, they're confident in the design of that watch. And if I was to, to fall in the pool and forget to take my watch off, I could get out and, and check the time and be kind of reasonably confident in the person that's done the sums and the designing. There's lots of other things, uh, whether it's the brakes on your bike, whether it's the train driver, all these different people that we put trust in. I want to say that we learn in life where we can put our trust. And, and we're going to take this more in a spiritual direction, as you might expect, as we turn to God's Word. And we're going to look at how Paul was urging God's people in Ephesus to put their trust in God. We're going to learn from that as we look at God's Word. But think as we turn there about the everyday things that we put our trust in. You see, normally they are figured out, if you're the person that does the sums, by what the limit is, and then coming back. Well, as we look for the cause that we have to have hope in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that His love has gone to the limit and beyond, that Christ showed His love for us, and that He died on the cross, but the power of God is seen in this, that He raised Him from the grave. Because there is that absolute triumph, we stand firm and trust in that. 
And we're going to learn more about that as we look at God's Word, but two things before we do so. Firstly, a word of context. We're jumping right into the middle of Ephesians chapter 1. It's a, it's a book, a letter that we've been looking at at our church through in Edinburgh. I want to share that, that last time, uh, well, sorry, when we were looking at it, the, the passage before uh, is this exclamation of praise, the cause that we have to, to praise God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. That's a theme that keeps on repeating in this letter, the triumph that is in the heavenlies, the heavenly realms. And what we see in chapter one is this great expression of praise and then turning to this prayer, this prayer that we're going to read in a moment. John Stott, indeed the late John Stott, a great thinker and a great encourager in the church, points out that praise and prayer go hand in hand. And that's what it's like in our church. And it's great to see that here, that praise and prayer go hand in hand. And as we turn to God's Word, might it be that we are enthused in that journey of praise and prayer. But the last thing I want to say before we turn to God's Word is that this is a very Christian-centric message. It starts with these words. It says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, Paul, as he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, is, is writing to people who already believe. I don't know where you are on your journey of faith. I don't know if you've been coming to this church for two hours or two weeks or two years. We've literally just come over the threshold, so I have no way of knowing. But I want to say this. As we, if we look at a message that is primarily for Christian folk, if you're someone who's on a journey, maybe standing at the sideline and learning about what that faith story means, my prayer is that as you look at how we love one another, how we love the Lord and seek to deepen our faith and our trust, that that might be something that speaks into your heart. And that this story that's shared with a church in Ephesus, in Edinburgh, in Glasgow, is a story that is for all. So then let's open God's Word together. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. It's going to come up on the screen, or if you want to look up on your phone or a Bible, if you have one, uh, that's great. But it's Ephesians chapter 1, uh, picking up at verse 15. But let's pray as we look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for leading us in this time. And we pray that as we open Your words, You might lead us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, might the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. So too, might you draw us closer in our journey of faith, whether beginning or rooting in, that we might know the hope that we profess in the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, and there at verse 15. For this reason, remember that great expression of praise, Paul turns now to his prayer for the church in Ephesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes, I, also, I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. And thanks be to God for this reading of his word. Here we see this prayer, and we're thinking here, sharing as a church the power of a praying church and what that means. And my prayer, as I've been reflecting upon this, is that individually, actually, we would be inspired, that as individuals, we would be inspired in our own faith journey as we look at the cause that Paul shared with the church in Ephesus to be encouraged and to stand firm. It's my prayer that we as individuals would be inspired, but so too that that would be a catalyst for us praying for others. It's great to share across churches, across cities even, and to encourage one another. The Church of Scotland is in a season of prayer and preparation in response to the radical action plan that it agreed at the last assembly in May, putting a focus on praying, indeed praying for one another might what we share here in God's Word be a catalyst? You see, in the church, there are lots of different things, lots of different ideas, all good stuff, things that we can share and borrow. And actually, I've been noting lots of things that we might take back to Edinburgh and share in that context. There's lots of different things, but it's not about the silver bullet. It's not about the idea where you have this light bulb moment and say, ah, that's what our church needs, as if it's something practical. What we're seeing here is an inspiring journey of faith. And if it was Paul's prayer for that church in Ephesus, then what is it for us this morning to look at that? Now, I've just realized something. I'm in the habit of preaching in the morning. And so I keep on saying this morning that it's not morning time, is it, at all? It's afternoon. I'm way off. I sometimes do the same whenever we have an evening service, and I find myself catching it. So I tell you what, if you see me doing it again, you can throw something at me or remind me or cough really, really loudly if I refer to it being the morning. What are the things that inspire you? What are the things that leave you feeling uplifted? Maybe it's a fresh cup of coffee in the morning or afternoon. Uh, Maybe it's doing a bit of exercise. There's a cycle race or a cycle run going from Glasgow to Edinburgh, I believe, today. Maybe doing a bit of exercise might get some endorphins pumping through your body, feeling really good about yourself. Or maybe it's an encouraging word from someone else. There are lots of things in life that will give us a bit of uplifting and encouragement for the journey. Paul prays here for a church, a church that we never knew. You can look at Acts 18 and 19. You can learn a little bit about the church in Ephesus, but we don't know what they looked like. We don't know how they sounded, where they gathered. We can speculate and we can look at some of the information, but this is a church that we do not know. But this prayer that resounded to them resounds to us and has this great power to uplift us in our faith. You see, I would hazard to say that it's a truth that in the Christian journey, often we tend to be down on ourselves. 
Often we tend to be down on ourselves about our faith and the things we haven't done rather than the things that we have. For example, I don't know if you've heard many Christians mutter, I'm the most holy. I, I don't like to boast. I don't like to brag. But if you look around, you know, I'm, I'm probably the most, the most holy person you'll meet. Uh, I'm definitely the most humble. I've, I've really got that sussed. Uh, if you want to learn how to be humble, just start taking notes, everything I say and do. You don't often see that, do you? In fact, often, if you do see that, it's normally someone just like myself saying it in jest and, and trying to, to get a bit of humor out of people. Well, often we use humor as a guise because in truth, often we tend to be down on ourselves. We tend to point out the things that we haven't done. And so if we're looking for that encouragement, that boost, let me say that it doesn't come from our own ability, but rather the faith and hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we're burdened by our own weakness, let's look at what Paul is saying to this church to spur them on. In verses 17 and 18, it says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. You see, it's not about some silver bullet, some grand idea that's going to get you spiritually on track. It's about knowing God. The word, and I'm probably going to butcher my pronunciation here, but is epigenosis. Hopefully that word is coming up on the screen for those who can maybe pronounce it better than I. But this chap, Skerminton Wood, he says, suggests that epigenosis is this fullness of knowledge, and it's acquired through personal acquaintance. It's about knowing God. This is where we're at in our faith journey, knowing God and the triumph that we stand firm on in Him, the triumph that is revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing God, who, as we see in verse 18, proclaims hope. Verse 19, we see that He is powerful. We see that He has shown the greatest victory of all Listen to what it says here in verse 19. It says, His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of His mighty strength, in verse 20, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the depth of God's love seen for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a case of a limit and then coming back a little bit and saying, you're probably all right here. It's a trust and a hope, a hope in God, as someone said over here, that is asserted in the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ who has risen from the grave and is seated at God's right hand. And we see this repeating theme then of the heavenlies. It's something that keeps on coming up in this letter to the church in Ephesus, the heavenly realms. In some context, that, that's a, a happy thing, but likewise, later on in the letter, it talks about the armor of God, and, and there's this realization that actually the, the heavenly realms can also be quite a dark place. But either way, whether it's something we know or whether it's a completely different strata, a heavenly realm, the assertion the truth that is proclaimed is that Christ is triumphant. This is where we find hope. As we see more and more the kingship of Christ, the triumph 
that is His, we learn less and less to trust in the strength that we can muster, but rather to put hope in God. In fact, sometimes it's even when we are confronted by our own shortcomings that we learn this truth, this truth that Paul prayed for that church in Ephesus, and this truth that echoes to us. I'm going to share a couple of passages. It's good to remind ourselves of the Scripture. It's good to learn the Scripture. Sometimes we do memory verses with the young folks in church. Here's one from Proverbs, and hopefully it's coming up on the screen with a nice fancy graphic, so you can take a picture with your phone and remember it for later, or if you've got the technology, you can follow along. In fact, I'm really impressed with the technology. But whether you're reading it on the most current of devices, or whether you're reading it in your paper Bible, or reciting it from memory, here is a truth. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Does this not echo true for the church in Ephesus as it does to us today? That God is triumphant, and therefore we have cause to trust in Him rather than our own understanding. Or what about the dad? The dad that we read about in Mark chapter 9. He's got a boy, a son who is desperately ill, possessed by an evil spirit. And so in desperation, he turns to Jesus, asking that Jesus would heal him. We're going to read verse 24. But leading up to that, he asks Jesus, he says, he's explaining the, the situation for the boy. And he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us, help us. This is the desperation of a father who's confronted by his son's illness. Jesus questions him, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. And then the man mutters this. In fact, he says this straight away. He exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We can echo those very words ourselves. Whatever we are confronted by, we have cause, just as that man, just as those in Ephesus, just as Paul who wrote these words, we have cause to trust in God who is triumphant. This is an encouragement to us in our faith journey, but I want to say this. It's something that we can also then echo on to others to inspire them in their faith journey whether that's groups of believers like the church in Ephesus or like us or the folks through in Edinburgh, individuals that we know or even those that we don't, how can we be an inspiration? How can we be upholding others? You see, I'm a very practical person, and I like to think of ways in which we can help other people, sometimes even without them knowing. For example, I'm the kind of person that if I walk along a street and I see someone's bike has fallen over, it's still kind of locked to the lamppost, I'll pick it up. So I think to myself, it'd be really unfortunate if they got a bent wheel because someone stood on it or drove their car over the wheel. I like to think of practical ways that we can help people. And I'm seeing a few nods, and you know that's because they're also cyclists, and they like to think of not having bent wheels. Or actually, that concept of, of blessing other people is something that we quite like to do. It's good. It's great to, to lift other people up. But what about spiritually? How can we think of blessing other people? 
You see, we're called to, to bless folk, to uphold, particularly those that are marginalized. Those are left at the fringes of our society. That's mandated for us in Scripture. But how do we think about how we can bless people spiritually as well? I want to suggest that in prayer, as we see here in this letter, as we've been doing as a church family, but so too in proclamation, in other words, telling people about the hope, we can long that people would know the power of God seen in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's this guy, Paul, praying for a church that they would know the power of God. What is it then for us to pray that for others? As I said at the start, the Church of Scotland is in this season of prayer and preparation. We have a radical season before us. It's perhaps a bit unsettling and unnerving for lots of folks in different ways, and we don't know what that will look like and what that will mean. But as I look out at you folks doing something new and different and engaging and exciting, you've got something to pass on, something to encourage other people with. And might that be rooted in a story of faith? The church has been asking people to pray. In fact, we met as Edinburgh Presbytery on Tuesday night, and being very diligent presbyter, I read all my papers. I was all clued up. And I read my papers. Well, I say very diligent. I read them the day before, which is actually quite good going for me. But I read them the day before and realized that prayer was not once mentioned in all our business. Even though as a church of Scotland, we had resolved to be praying. And actually, there was nothing about that as a presbytery. And I thought, well, hang about. Let's get this changed. And so a few of us have got together and starting at some point this month, we're going to start praying. In fact, someone's put out the ideas that we go to the seven different hills in Edinburgh and pray for the city, for our presbytery. But it's our longing that we would know that Christ is our only hope. There might be lots of clever ideas, things that we can do and things that we can see. For example, I quite like your sound system. It looks really snazzy, and we could maybe do with some of that back in Edinburgh. But whatever the clever ideas, if it's not rooted in this hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, we're adrift. We are rudderless without this hope. And so Paul is praying for them. And might this be an inspiration for us to pray for others? I'm going to finish in a moment thinking about how this challenges us. But I want to share something that I came across a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with a guy, in fact, a guy from Glasgow, and he muttered this phrase, and it's kind of been stuck in my ear ever since. It's not a particularly biblical phrase, but it certainly got me thinking. He said this, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Seeing a few nods, maybe you've heard that before. It's the sort of thing that would ring true in kind of a corporate uh, board as you come into a big office. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. I'm pretty sure I've never seen that in the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and strength and lean not your own understanding. That's definitely, definitely in the Proverbs. This is not in the Proverbs, and I'm not going to proclaim it as such. But maybe there's a truth in that statement that echoes out of what Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. That no matter what the strategy is, no matter what the plans and the ideas are, a culture culture that puts God first, a culture that asserts that we have hope in Him because of His Son, Jesus Christ, 
who died, who rose again, and who sits at God's right hand. God who is triumphant in the heavenly realms. A culture, a church culture that puts that first. Well, never mind your strategy. Never mind your clever ideas. Here's where it's at. And so, this is my prayer for you, and I ask that you folks would be praying this for us as well. But I want to close with a word of challenge, because this, this is radical faith, trusting in it. We can think of all the many things in our lives that we will put trust in, but as we look at what Paul is praying for this church, might it be that we pause and reflect and ask the question, where is our trust? As I shared at the start, maybe you're still on a journey. As I said, this is a very Christian-centric passage. Maybe you're struggling with what trust looks like for you. In fact, maybe you've been bruised by the whole word of trust. Here is a hope and a triumph like no other for Christians, for those on a journey of discovery. As we look at it this morning, might that ring true in our own lives, but so too in our prayers and our longing, our crying out, our burden for others in our church, in our presbyteries, in our denomination, and indeed in our nation. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer as we still in God's presence.